0: Thank you very much to Peggy very grateful uh, to Peggy for the invitation um, I didn't quite make the calculation that it was 30 years since uh, we my uh, year group um, qualified in medicine and so there would be a, um, a, a worryingly large number of my own contemporaries here in the audience um, and in fact there are also so many of our former uh, teachers and mentors here that it feels a little bit like taking finals um, yeah, yeah. so uh, adding adding to the sort of uh, the terror of this <laughs> event I also want to pay uh, tribute uh, to David Uh, Like many people here, I imagine um, he he, uh, played a large role in my own career. um, I worked uh, as a houseman on the NDM and uh, took his guidance about um, SHO jobs and career paths. Um, He uh, graciously allowed me to... uh, to, uh, move towards infectious diseases. His, he initially was a little bit cautious. He wanted to make sure that his two former mentees in infectious diseases, uh, Nick White and Jeff Paswell, had worked out all right before he thought anybody else ought to pursue this slightly dodgy uh, path. And, but uh, I think then I, I was allowed to pursue that. And he also p- pushed me in the direction of Andrew uh, Michael for my PhD, which I'm, for which I'm immensely grateful. And many people may not know that David um, also made the first HIV diagnosis in Oxford um, in a patient from Zambia uh, in the early 1980s at a time uh, when the spread of HIV in Africa wasn't widely appreciated. So I'm just going to uh, talk not too much about our own work but uh, liberally uh, illustrated with uh, pictures from uh, our time in West Africa in particular and cover these basic um, uh, issues Uh, why why the vaccine is still needed, but how it also uh, needs to be uh, tested uh, against other strategies for HIV prevention um, and what what the issues are that have led uh, to such a delay in developing an HIV uh, vaccine. So there are many uh, uh, kinds of disinformation about HIV. I've uh, summarised some of them on uh, this slide. Um, and I'm going to try and avoid um, talking too much about uh, some of these uh, bizarre uh, conspiracy theories. Although when we were in, in the Gambia, um, this uh, bringing it right up to date in the, in the, in the two, year 2000s, uh, the President announced that he himself had the gift of curing HIV infection. Uh, and that led to all kinds of problems in, in our clinics, as you can imagine. This is the most bizarre headline I've ever come across. If people can't quite see it at the back, it says, men accused of sleeping with fish as AIDS kills 480,000 Ugandans. Unfortunately, the, 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 uh, the print from this um, old newspaper has declined uh, so, so deteriorated so much, you can't quite see the details. Um, but this was uh, from a national newspaper in Uganda uh, um, several years ago. So um, starting uh, with uh, perhaps a little bit more accurate information, um, the uh, HIV uh, was re- uh, first uh, described or at least the, the, the sy- clinical syndrome AIDS was first described when we were students um, in, uh, simultaneously on either side of the uh, United States of America on the two major coasts in predominantly young uh, gay men uh, presenting uh, with infections that uh, would be normally associated with an impaired immune system and these people were found to have low T-cells in the blood. And at the time that we were learning about this in medical school, um, it was associated very strongly with particular risk groups uh, for which we were given the letter H, male homosexuals, haemophiliacs and Haitians. Of course, that now has changed, and we would see HIV as potentially something that anybody who um, is sexually active uh, could be uh, vulnerable to. And within a couple of years, the virus was identified in in labs um, in France and in the uh, United States. And we now know quite a lot about the virus. It's a a very small virus um, and uh, characteristically uses an enzyme called reverse transcriptase um, that makes a copy of itself. And this becomes incorporated into the DNA (laughs) of the host uh, infected cell. And that causes a lot of of problems. And in the time that it's been in uh, human beings, which is estimated to have been from the 1940s, at least 60 million people have been recorded as infected, um, and around 34 are still living with HIV and AIDS. These are the most recent figures from UNAIDS and WHO, and you can see that the great burden is still in sub-Saharan Africa, um, with around 23 million infected people. Um, Europe is relatively static, but the former Soviet uh, countries uh, in Eastern Europe and Central Asia are seeing a a very rapid increase in recent years. And Southeast Asia, particularly India, also has a very big and growing um, HIV problem. So it's not a disease that has gone away. Uh, And in uh, the UK population, uh, we've seen a lot of increases recently, again particularly in in the young gay uh, male population. My interest has for many years has predominantly been in Africa, and um, the, say the first cases um, were reported in Africa in the 1980s. Obviously, now we understand that the disease first uh, originated in humans there. And when a survey of uh, uh, sex workers was done in the 1980s in Nairobi, already uh, two-thirds of the women had acquired infection. And it spread rapidly um, throughout sub-Saharan Africa uh, with extraordinarily high rates, particularly in in southern Africa, and enough to make a a major impact on many uh, features of life on the continent. And although treatment access has significantly improved um, uh, with generic drugs and with donor aid programs, um, it's still only a fraction of those who need um, antiretroviral treatment have access to it. And it particularly affects um, children. Uh, And the reason for that in Africa is that, um, uh, unlike in other parts of the world, the predominant driver is heterosexual transmission and women are disproportionately uh, affected. And these are some figures uh, from South Africa from um, uh, uh, in the 1990s, looking at the rates of acquisition of HIV um, according to age and gender. And uh, women are shown here in the red line. And you'll see that young girls from the age of about uh, 10 onwards are particularly vulnerable to acquiring HIV. Uh, maybe something about uh, the... the. Um, Uh, uh, interactions between the groups, and it may also be something about the adolescent female genital tract, But it does mean that this group is is particularly vulnerable. And you can see the figures uh, from even in rural South Africa um, uh, from uh, in in, uh, the last decade, just showing how staggeringly high the prevalence is in uh, uh, in accumulating with age, such that by the age of 23 to 24, more than half the women attending an antenatal clinic in this rural part of KwaZulu-Natal are infected with HIV So it's not surprising that it has a a major impact um, on all aspects of life. The bottom panel, which probably isn't very visible from the back, just shows the decline in life expectancy, which had been steadily increasing uh, through the 20th century with all our public health improvements, um, that uh, tipped in the uh, 1980s as a result uh, and has started to decline below previous levels um, as a result of HIV infection. And although there are many other major causes, uh, particularly infectious causes of morbidity and mortality, in Africa. Um, This uh, HIV, I think, is characteristic because it affects adults rather than the very young. So it tends to take out those uh, economically productive people whom the extended family depends upon. And of course, that would also include healthcare workers I had an African uh, physician uh, working as a postdoc in my group uh, from Nairobi, and he's estimated that a third of his uh, um, year at medical school had uh, already died of HIV infection uh, when he he joined uh, our group. And um, I... Attended a, a talk in, uh, uh, attended a meeting in Cape Town, and the students there were telling us that they're, they're um, told when they arrive in uh, medical in the university that they should assume that at least a third of their fellow students and a third of their teachers will all be HIV infected. It's not something we had to worry about when we we started um, in medical school, so this uh, has a big impact on the loss of the professions. It obviously increases the healthcare uh, expenditure burden on these countries. And uh, as, I, as the use of antiretrovirals becomes more widespread, that obviously increases it further. It, it can distort how healthcare is spent. So um, uh, the people who work on malaria, TB and other important infections often feel and feel probably rightly, that the better-funded HIV programmes tend to draw out well-qualified uh, healthcare uh, workers and uh, researchers uh, out of those areas um, and, uh, and into HIV. Um, It's also had a big impact on social structure. The massive, uh, the the millions of orphans in in Africa tend to be cared for by the elderly, who are also uh, bereaved of their um, uh, their, what they might have perceived as their source of income in their old age. And of course, uh, stigma remains a a major uh, concern. Uh, There has been uh, some uh, encouraging. uh, uh, news about HIV prevalence from the UNAIDS figures, but this actually only represents a, a fall in the rate of increase. It doesn't mean that there's actually a, a fall in the numbers of new infections. Um, so that, um, uh, but this has been. Um, uh, particularly striking in certain countries. And probably the, the greatest success has been in preventing mother to child transmission, which in the developed world is now, uh, we, we'd now anticipate that we could prevent virtually all cases of um, vertical transmission between mother and child. Um, still, uh, a significant proportion uh, of children are born with HIV in Africa, largely because uh, these measures don't uh, reach all uh, pregnant women. But still, uh, two and a half million people acquired HIV in 2011, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, access to treatment isn't uh, isn't as widespread as we would like, uh, and many people are still dying uh, because of lack of uh, treatment availability. Um, if you go to HIV meetings at the moment, uh, the talk is all of cure, and you've probably seen uh, news stories about people who've, uh, uh, babies and adults who may have been cured of HIV infection. I used to think that that was um, a, an impossible ambition um, for sort of theoretical reasons. To, to cure HIV, you'd have to get rid of all of the uh, particles of HIV from the blood and you might have millions of those in each uh, milliliter of blood and all the cells that express the uh, CD4 receptor for HIV um, that have virus that, uh, that is latent and not uh, productive. Um, this has been achieved once in a, a man who's referred to as the Berlin patient. Um, he uh, had um, a lymphoma as a complication of his HIV, uh, which was otherwise quite well controlled and antiretrovirals. And he had a a bone marrow transplant against the background of a complete conditioning, which would eliminate his own immune system. And they used a bone marrow that uh, lacked Uh, one of the receptors that HIV uses to get into cells, the CCR5 receptor, and that allowed um, uh, him uh, to reconstitute his immune system with what was effectively uh, HIV-resistant bone marrow. And many years uh, later, he is still HIV-negative and off-treatment. Um, clearly not a feasible strategy to scale up uh, in Africa Um, but it's led people to think that it might be possible Um, and you perhaps have heard the story that was reported earlier this year about the baby who was treated very aggressively in um, early life uh, and turns out to be HIV negative um, uh, a couple of years after um, stopping therapy Um, and so this idea that there might be transient or curable infection has become Important. I I actually think this is more encouraging for vaccine research than it is for cure. But um, the, the, the current attempts to, to achieve a cure are focusing on how you can get HIV out of what is a latent reservoir of uh, cells in, uh, in, that are inaccessible because the virus isn't replicating it. it's uh, You can't uh, expect it to be susceptible to the antiretroviral drugs. And this is using quite um, uh, threatening sounding drugs uh, that uh, take out the histones that are part of the um, epigenetic modifiers that keep HIV uh, repressed in these cells cells, and then followed by intensive um, therapy. So these, uh, this, is, um, intense, uh, this is being intensively studied in uh, the developed world uh, so far without any very positive uh, results. So going back to some of the original questions about the virus, this ought not to be such a successful virus. It's very small. It's uh, not particularly transmissible. Um, and uh, you have to work quite hard to acquire it. Um, and it doesn't survive for very long outside the body, um, and it's still not entirely clear how it causes such uh, uh, damage compared to other viruses that infect the same uh, T cell targets. So going back uh, to the origins, these are this is a, an African green monkey, we have them sometimes in our garden in the Gambia. In fact, one of them broke into one of the labs one night in the Gambia and and trashed it. So we had to have uh, monkeys keep out signs uh, put up. The, um, many animals have their own uh, retroviruses um, that are not uh, pathogenic in that species, cows, cats and so on. Um, the, the monkey ones are the most closely related to ours and the African green has a, 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 an SIV, simian immunodeficiency virus, um, and uh, doesn't develop uh, disease. HIV-2, which um, I could talk about for hours, but I'm not going to refer to a lot in this talk, um, has entered humans on at least eight occasions uh, from the sooty bangabi, which is prevalent uh, in West Africa. And we think we've acquired HIV-1, the main pandemic strain of HIV, uh, from chimps uh, in Central Africa, although there's also a gorilla strain that's coming to some humans in Cameroon. And the monkeys that have this infection naturally don't develop disease. But if you pass the infection on to monkeys from a different uh, genetic background, uh, they can become sick. And that's the basis of a lot of the animal models we use for vaccine and drug testing. And we think the virus came into humans in the 30s or f- and 40s, and then started to diversify into many, many different uh, families of virus. And the furthest we can go back and document HIV is from a blood sample taken in 1959 in uh, what is now the Democratic uh, Republic of the Congo. So the key aspect of HIV is that it infects CD4 cells, turning them from nice healthy lymphocytes into uh, seriously uh, damaged uh, T-cells. And the reason that that is uh, so devastating is that it becomes integrated into the cell and you can't remove uh, the virus without removing the infected cell. And because it moves easily between cells, it isn't particularly accessible to antibodies in the circulation. So you can only really get rid of it by destroying the infected cells. And those cells are very crucial to how the immune system functions. And it's now clear that we lose, uh, in particular, a lot of the cells that are part of our lymphoid system, but um, where, the, where there are massive numbers of T, CD4 T cells in our gut tissue, accounting for, say, the, the great proportion of our immune Uh, system. Um, And that damage happens very early in HIV infection. And one of the things that it does is damage how the uh, gut mucosa uh, is in... uh, uh, keeps out various products um, from the circulation. So this damage allows the passage of bacteria and bacterial products uh, into the, um, uh, on a sort of steady stream into the bloodstream. And this um, sets up a cycle of, of chronic immune activation, which is probably the main uh, reason for HIV uh, disease progression. Um, I'll try not to bore you too much uh, with immunology, if you, uh, assuming that you knew as much immunology as I did when I started my PhD, which was not a great deal. Um, but just to say that there is, uh, it's not as if the immune system isn't trying to eliminate HIV. Maybe one in five of the immune cells in an infected person are trying to uh, t- attack HIV with antibodies and T-cells. But um, the key uh, feature of the immune response, the key orchestrator of the immune response, the CD4 helper cell uh, response to the virus, is lost very, very early because of that's most easily infected by the virus. <clears throat> so the, the antibody response um, is one of the least effective parts of the immune response to HIV. And as we assume, most of our vaccines work by stimulating neutralizing antibodies. That's clearly one of the uh, difficult issues to overcome. And the the virus envelope, uh, which is the surface of the virus to which the antibodies would be targeting, uh, is covered in sugar molecules. And sugar molecules make it very hard for antibodies to bind. So it's intrinsically a very difficult uh, target. And there are most of the envelope can change quite easily without affecting the structure of the virus um, or its function. There are a few bits that are uh, are non-negotiable for the virus. One is where it docks onto the CD4 molecule, um, and those those areas are overhung in deep pockets, uh, overhung with sugar molecules, or only revealed when the virus um, has made its first contact with CD4. So it's really a very difficult antibody target. Um, And we know that the virus can evolve really quickly. So at any one time, um, the antibodies that you have in your circulation don't uh, target effectively or neutralise the virus that you have in the circulation at the the same time. So it's really something um, that, whereas for many infections, an antibody response would be a hallmark that you'd been infected and and dealt with the virus, um, this is a, a marker of persistent infection in the case of HIV And as a consequence, it probably wasn't a huge surprise when the first uh, efficacy trial for uh, an HIV candidate vaccine uh, failed. Um, The vaccine was made by a company called VaxGen in the States and tested in a large uh, study of high-risk volunteers, over 5,000 people, predominantly in North America and in Thailand. And uh, despite counseling, the rates of infection in, in both men and women was uh, significant. So there were a lot of infections in, in both placebo and vaccine arms, but there was absolutely no efficacy. We now would understand that the protein, the envelope protein that was injected was a, a monomer. Um, the envelope of HIV is actually now known to be a very complex trimer. So the, uh, that it really what was injected didn't bear much resemblance to the native HIV envelope and it didn't elicit uh, neutralising antibodies that would combat the strains that cause infection. So uh, for, for a while, antibodies were off the agenda and people then moved to looking at T-cells, which is what our uh, group has focused on for some time. And the advantage of uh, these CD8, these cytotoxic T-cells, is that they kill virus-infected cells by recognising small fragments of the viral proteins that have been expressed on the cell surface in HLA molecules. And that means they can target internal proteins that maybe can't vary as much because all the proteins of the organism can be processed and presented in that way. And that triggers production of cytokines that suppress virus replication and also uh, killing of the infected cell. And for uh, uh, our group and many others, um, including several um, groups within Oxford, have uh, generated over the years quite a lot of uh, data to suggest that this is an important part of HIV control. And I won't go uh, into these Uh, studies in any great detail but just to say um, that in particular in in animal studies if you take out these CD8 T cells the virus rises very quickly uh, and as they come back the virus falls again to previous levels Um, and so we know uh, and for these and many other data we think that this is the main way in which the immune system controls HIV uh, while people are well However, over time, these, uh, uh, um, the virus can also evade this particular response, and it becomes harder and harder to control the virus, and this ultimately leads uh, to escape. Now, this uh, may not project particularly well at the back, but this is a little uh, f- feature uh, showing T-cells killing a target. So the, t- the cytotoxic T-cells are these little round guys. Um, and anyway, I'll, I'll let the movie speak for itself. But you, you can see... <laughs> How they sort of attack and detonate uh, the target cell and eventually lead to um, wholesale destruction. This is over about a 20 hour, hour um, time lapse photography. And I should acknowledge Xiao Ning Zhu, who made that film originally. <coughs> okay, going back to vaccine. Uh, To vaccines. Um, This is a a Gambian child in an antenatal, uh, in a child health clinic in the Gambia, Uh, one of the countries, um, despite being extremely poor, that has an astonishingly high take-up, well over uh, 90% of infant uh, vaccines. And this is all part of the expanded program of immunisation launched by the WHO in the 1980s, that has had a a massive impact and saving uh, millions of lives each year from infectious. diseases (laughs) When you think about how vaccines work, most of the successful vaccines that are are currently used within the EPI are based on the idea that once you have experienced an encounter with a pathogen and survived then you have long-term protection against that pathogen and this was first articulated by a Greek historian whose name I won't attempt to pronounce who was describing uh, some over 2,000 years ago the plague of Athens and we don't actually know what the plague of Athens was except that it was very uh, contagious and uh, had a very high mortality rate and during the, uh, the, the period of the progress of the plague. It was difficult for people to work out how to look after the sick without being infected themselves. Um, And gradually, as as time wore on, they realised that the people who had had the infection and recovered um, would make very good carers because they never got uh, that infection again and in fact they went on to say that they were probably safe from any disease whatsoever and unfortunately vaccination doesn't quite work like that although there are non-specific benefits from vaccines that do have some protection against mortality um, in a more general way. The person who um, uh, speculated that HIV vaccines would uh, uh, and gave a time uh, frame for them to be available has had a lot of uh, bad press. A lady called Margaret Heckler, US um, Health Secretary, in the 1980s, she attended a press conference to announce that the virus had been identified that uh, the blood test uh, would now be available so it could protect the blood supply. Um, and uh, when she was asked about the possibility that a vaccine uh, would be available, she said it's probably within two years. And, and she's been uh, roundly abused, and slides like this have been shown in many HIV meetings. But in fact, she anticipated, she wasn't a... a um, She was an intelligent woman and she anticipated the question and asked Bob Gallo beforehand um, what uh, she should answer. And that's he gave her the information and has never taken uh, responsibility for it. Um, uh, So... Thinking about why that hasn't come to pass, Um, in particular, the issues are that the virus is incredibly variable. Um, So in an infected person, it's thought that you make every possible uh, variant of HIV within the first six weeks of infection uh, of, of your own strain of virus. Then as these strains pass between different people, there are different families of virus throughout the world. Uh, And uh, so the range of HIV that we now have to provide protection against is very much greater uh, than it would have been 10, 20 or 30 years ago. And we also need to think how the virus is transmitted. Not many (coughs) infections are transmitted through so many different routes. But of course, our our panel of vaccines that we use on a regular basis uh, didn't lead to these kind of anxieties. We simply either uh, attenuated or uh, killed the organism and used small doses to uh, reproduce uh, the infection and generate immunity without giving the disease. And this probably would work in um, animal uh, uh, models. In fact, it has been tested in a number of uh, strategies, Um, but it'll never be taken on commercially, um, because of the risk of giving a healthy person uh, a, a vaccine that, for whatever reason, might uh, give uh, the di- provide the disease. So although there's a group of uh, physicians in the States who have signed up for uh, the first available human attenuated HIV vaccine, uh, uh, there aren't many takers uh, in the UK that I'm aware of. Um, and I think the fundamental problem is, and that's perhaps why I was highlighting these issues of cure and, and, and the baby that was infected that um, appears now not to be, is that um, as the vast majority of people infected with HIV um, stay infected and, and without treatment will eventually develop disease, we don't really know, fulfill that criteria of, uh, of protective immunity that we see for most other vaccines. Um, The HIV, as I mentioned, uh, uh, can be transmitted by many different routes. For example, um, oral uh, infection is presumably how most infants become infected through swallowing uh, either secretions during birth or uh, breast milk. Um, And the gut mucosa is one of the sites of very intense HIV replication after uh, acute infection. And surprisingly, mucosal immunity is is, is very little studied and very little is known about how to uh, generate immunity in the genital tract. And it appears to be one of the hardest uh, targets uh, uh, for inducing an effective response. And the virus... Uh, is uh, continually diversifying it's thought it makes at least one error every time it copies itself that would be a a very poor strategy for a pathogen if it weren't that it replicated so very rapidly so that it can make a whole lot of rubbish and probably about 99 percent of the virus uh, in the infected person is replication defective won't go on to um, be able to uh, uh, um, uh, to Replicate and evolve, but um, you always uh, that enough viruses made that there is always a potential variant to escape the immune response or to uh, escape uh, drug treatment um, uh, if that selective pressure is applied, and it's pred- predominantly due to the reverse transcriptase, which doesn't uh, check uh, how well it's uh, copied uh, itself as it um, makes the DNA copy. Um, but as as the virus um, spreads in different uh, families around the world, then um, people who are infected with more than one strain can have a recombination event in the virus, in in a a, a cell infected with more than one virus, and that also leads to extensive uh, diversity. Um, To illustrate this uh, using a Uh, a phylogenetic tree, which gives you an idea of the, uh, which is a mathematical representation of viral diversity. We make a new uh, flu vaccine most years to cover the diversity in flu. And this is uh, 20 uh, Canadian viruses, the the, the sort of global viruses uh, from which um, a new vaccine would have been made for influenza. Whereas even in uh, 20 people in, in one city, the virus is already very much more diverse than that. Uh, and in parts of Africa, it's incredibly uh, diverse. So we've kind of missed uh, the chance to uh, contain HIV while it was relatively uh, genetically constrained. And you can see that in di- diversity uh, in the form of the different families of HIV which have different letters. CRF stands for a Circulating Recombinant Form and some of these recombinants have gone on to become very successful strains in their own right. And parts of Africa have, particularly in Central Africa, have uh, a massive uh, genetic diversity. The blue here in India and South Africa is the C strain of virus, which is probably the most successful um, globally. So how... Uh, can you tackle this issue of protective immunity? If you had a vaccine that worked, or at least worked partially, you could try and extrapolate uh, from that. Um, the other uh, main approach really has been to look at uh, to do observational studies which are less good because um, you don't know whether you' what is cause and what is effect. Um, but this is an area that where, where our group has uh, worked with different uh, uh, clinicians and epidemiologists around the world to try and look particularly at this issue of exposure without infection and uh, um, Long term non progression, that's control of HIV without antiretrovirals and with HIV 2. And um, I've uh Apologise for showing a picture of my daughter's bottom without her permission, Um, but I did tell her that nobody would be able to tell it was her, so that's okay. Um, One of the first um, descriptions um, of uh, of, um, immune responses in in people exposed to HIV um, who are not infected came in children uh, from our group and a a group in France at the same time. Um, And this was uh, the the baby that we studied was from a haemophiliac family in, um, uh, in Oxford. Uh, which has a very large as you probably know a haemophilia centre this couple were trying to have a baby the wife got infected during the course of this and then there this was quite some time ago in the 1990s so you couldn't diagnose infection in the child until the maternal antibody had waned um, after 18 months we didn't have molecular techniques at that stage and so when nine months of age we grew a t-cell line that potently uh, reacted against HIV and killed HIV-infected cells from this child. We assumed that it was probably going to turn out to be infected, but um, 18 months late, uh, a few months later it lost maternal antibody, and when we went back and looked um, by molecular means, the, uh, the, there was no evidence of HIV in the blood, so this was evidence that you could generate an immune response to the virus without being infected. um, But it's still not entirely clear uh, whether this is uh, just a memory of being exposed or actually uh, protective immunity. So to try and address that, we uh, went to uh, work in uh, West Africa in in the Gambia um, to where... There's been an MRC uh, laboratory since the 1940s and a a number of uh, studies on malaria, malaria, uh, TB, uh, pneumonia uh, have been carried out over many years there. We were particularly interested in looking at uh, um, exposed but uninfected sex workers who are here in a clinic, in uh, the the HIV clinic in the Gambia. And in those particular women with a high rate of exposure to HIV, we could find uh, the same thing, T-cells that reacted against HIV uh, and killed uh, infected cells. And these again were uh, 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 persistently uninfected women. But nothing like... uh, the extent of exposure that had been described in a slum in uh, Kenya by uh, Frank Plummer and his group, who this is a, a, a Canadian group that had gone out in the 1980s to study a really rather unpleasant uh, genital ulcer disease that I, you'll be glad to hear, I don't have a picture of. Um, and in this particular cohort, uh, uh, the prevalence increased very rapidly to around 90% in the 1990s. And the women could charge uh, uh, more for sex without a condom. Um, And this was obviously an economic pressure for um, unprotected uh, sex. And uh, at the time that we were working with Frank, um, the 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 number of HIV exposures a year uh, was estimated um, at around 70 per year. And uh, within that group there was a subgroup of women who the, were, uh, the epidemiologists described as HIV resistant because they had uh, stayed uninfected for at least three years and, and as time went on these women became less likely to be become infected. So it was a real flattening off of, of the curve. And this couldn't be explained by behavioural factors. Um, and in fact, their cells in the laboratory were very easy to infect with HIV. So it wasn't a blockage to infection. And again, without going over um, the uh, details, um, the, uh, the the main features of the study uh, that we and, and uh, the Canadians carried out were, suggested that uh, uh, the immune response in these women uh, correlated with with resistance. And in particular, the immune response wasn't present when They started in sex work, suggesting that it was acquired immunity. And indeed, when they took a break and went back to their families, who they'd usually told they were working as secretaries in Nairobi, um, and so took a break from sex work, um, they often became vulnerable again to uh, uh, acute infection, which led us to the slightly awkward um, public health uh, conclusions that if you were going to use prostitution as a way of avoiding HIV infection first of all it wasn't a very good way and secondly you couldn't afford to stop um, so those uh, um, oh I think I'll get that so if uh, we're looking at um, infection uh, at vaccines and how they might work. This is a, a recent um, uh, review from Andrew, Michael and Bart Haynes, who've led the CHARVI consortium, a big NIH-funded consortium for HIV vaccine work. Um, if, if you ha- what everybody has been aiming at is uh, absolutely no infection, sterilising immunity, protection by neutralising antibody probably um, even our best vaccines don't necessarily confer sterilising immunity. In, in the Gambia, for example, a hepatitis B vaccine has been studied over many decades. And although it protects fantastically well against carriage, which causes disease uh, of hepatitis B surface antigen, um, it, it clearly doesn't protect completely against infection. We see about 20% of 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 people who receive the vaccine go on to uh, develop uh, antibodies to the HIV core, uh, sorry, hepatitis B core, which are not in, is not in the vaccine. So they've clearly been infected, but the important thing is that they don't develop disease. So these two scenarios might actually be acceptable, either that there's transient infection and clearance by an immune response, shown in the different colours, or that there is persistent infection but that it's controlled long term. And I think uh, the community is probably coming around to those as, as possible, uh, possibly acceptable outcomes. Oxford was one of the first uh, places to test a vaccine uh, using very similar approaches to um, uh, those that Adrian Hill and his group had been using for uh, malaria and are still using in many different, against very many different pathogens for which it's been difficult to generate a vaccine. And the first person to be uh, enrolled in in the clinical trial, uh, shown here, uh, was uh, Dr. Evan Harris. Some of you may remember as a medical student, and indeed he'd been a junior doctor on the John Waring Ward where this uh, study was carried out. Um, And uh, he... Uh, in fact, it, there were so many photographers in the room that he had to have uh, 12 different uh, vaccinations, uh, one with a vaccine and 12 with saline or 11 with saline, just to, uh, to uh, satisfy all the photographers. But it did uh, allow him to get reelected. Um, LAUGHTER and uh, this, uh, although this vaccine uh, was immunogenic, um, it, uh, it wasn't particularly potent at stimulating um, uh, immune responses and didn't get developed further, although uh, new iterations of that vaccine are now entering clinical trials. But the T-cell vaccine concept also hit a a major roadblock in that uh, the study of uh, uh, the clinical trial in uh, phase 2B, that's in high-risk volunteers, so not a full efficacy study, but should be able to give some indication of efficacy, uh, of using what was at that stage thought to be the best uh, vaccine construct in the States uh, didn't um, uh, yield any protection. In fact, it was halted uh, uh, prematurely. And uh, the subsequent analysis suggested It might even have increased the risk of infection in certain groups, Uh, and this led to a sort of halt of the idea of generating T-cell vaccines and a sort of general gloom over the HIV um, vaccine field as a a whole. Um, However, uh, the mood was lifted a few years later by reports from uh, a vaccine that was tested in again in Thailand. Um, the, this was a, a, a very large trial in 16,000 people with a relatively low risk uh, of HIV infection. Uh, and it was run by the US Army, who, um, and uh, although the Army had been strongly advised uh, not to proceed with this vaccine, including letters in major scientific journals from various um, uh, uh, major figures in HIV research, um, on the basis that they're, they're previous studies of this vaccine, the two components that were being used uh, were very largely not immunogenic. They went ahead anyway, because they're the US Army and they can do that kind of thing. And um, But unfortunately, it meant that the budget was cut, uh, particularly around collecting samples for immunogenicity testing. So that uh, when, to everyone's surprise, there was a, a, de- a significant degree of efficacy in the vaccine, it was then very difficult to go back to the right kind of samples to see what correlate. Uh, with that uh, result. Um, A lot of people have cast doubt on the uh, Results because it's only seen in one of three different kinds of analyses. But my own view is that this is a, a very real result, and that most of the protection is seen uh, in the first year uh, after vaccination. If you look at this little Kaplan-Meier plot, um, the difference between the vaccine shown in green and the placebo, it, it, so, it, the divergence is predominantly at, at around one year, and then the two lines don't diverge very much. The just the problem really is that the numbers of infections in each group uh, was relatively modest so it's quite difficult to see a a great deal of of significance in that but it probably did work and because no one was really expecting it to work they hadn't uh, partly um, the problem was they hadn't kept the right blood samples but they also hadn't planned to um, scale up manufacture. Uh, so it's been very difficult to follow on from this trial although further studies of similar components to the original vaccines are being uh, tested in the states and in uh, south africa and I think um, although we don't know how that vaccine works, it 's not particularly good at stimulating either antibodies or T cells the We've understood now a lot more about these very early events in HIV infection in the genital tract, uh, predominantly from studies in animals, because obviously this is very difficult to do in humans. And it looks as if there are two points at which you might be able to intervene uh, to protect people against HIV infection. So if you look at these very, very early events, this is the yellow shows the virus particles. What everybody would like to do would be to stop the virus getting in at all um, with Antibodies or um, some other mechanism, but what uh, what the uh, team in these studies saw, led by Ashley Haas in 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 Minneapolis, was that they were very tiny infected uh, populations, and most of those just didn't go anywhere. They didn't develop; they just died out, and perhaps only one in a hundred of these populations would go on to get bigger and, and and then eventually spread into the draining lymph node and, in, and cause systemic infection so there's a potential to uh, interrupt uh, infection at this second stage here and um, uh, the uh, researchers found in the monkey model that um, the chances of controlling infection there um, were very much dependent on an influx of, uh, of T cells that were Potentially killing the virus, um, and uh, although they arrived in general too late to actually eliminate it, but you could imagine that if you stimulated a cellular immune response at this point, you could very, you could, uh, um, it would be a sort of very important uh, rearguard action against HIV uh, transmission. And in fact, I think this is probably how the drug treatment, both pre- and post-exposure prophylaxis, probably works, because these drugs can only work on replicating virus. And, and so if they work at all, which they clearly do, then they must, there must be transient infection, which is controlled uh, by the drugs. So um, all is not completely lost. There are some um, better approaches in animal models um, to generating uh, immunity. Several have been published uh, from the States. Uh, Tom Hankey in Oxford is continuing uh, with um, Adrian Hill to uh, work on uh, vaccine constructs uh, here in Oxford. And uh, most of these are tested in animal models, predominantly the rhesus macaque. And people have now become much more sophisticated about these models. The tests used to be with a very small number of animals. And to make sure that all your monkeys, Got in, the control monkeys got infected. The virus was injected, which isn't doesn't really reproduce what happens naturally. Now, uh, the challenge is with uh, repeated low dose mucosal challenge, um, and uh, the T cell um, uh, model seems to be holding up in various. Um, um, uh, situations. And the most effective vaccine to date uses a, a, a version of the CMV uh, cytomegalovirus um, which infects monkeys. And at least uh, 50% of animals uh, are, are clear the virus after challenge and uh, remain long-term uninfected and that is uh, being looked at in clinical trials although there are clearly anxieties about using CMV which can be quite an immunosuppressive virus uh, in people who are also at risk of HIV infection. There's also the antibody uh, movement has uh, remained very strong. And the particular interest is in this uh, phenomenon of broadly neutralising antibodies, which uh, about uh, one in five people with HIV have. But they may take three or four years to develop these, very different, again, from most other infections usually in the presence of high viral load, so they're not particularly good at controlling the virus, but using uh, these patients who have these broadly neutralising antibodies, lots of uh, monoclonal antibodies have now been developed and uh, their sites of action have been mapped and people are trying to generate uh, constructs that will stimulate these kind of um, uh, antibody responses. But it has proved uh, that these are very unusual antibodies. They've often uh, taken a a long time to mature, which is probably why um, it takes several years before they appear. And uh, possibly because of that, they're often cross-reactive with uh, uh, self-antigens, particularly, for example, cardiolipin. Um, And um, so that may cause uh, autoimmune disease. And so that's going to be a particular challenge to recreate uh, broadly neutralising antibodies without causing unwanted disease. And, of course, all of these things take a long time. So just to go from these basic concepts uh, to clinical trials uh, is a, 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 a usually a 10- or 15-year process. So things that look promising uh, now may, are still uh, many years away from uh, reaching uh, licensure. And what's happened elsewhere in the field is that other methods of protection against HIV have, uh, have, have taken uh, their... Uh, um, have become proven to be effective. Um, Condom use has always been uh, good at preventing HIV, but uh, still um, is not uh, used as much as it could be um, in prevention. But other methods have been shown in the last few years to, uh, to, to work. Uh, male circumcision, uh, which is now uh, performed uh, uh, medically in adults um, across Africa, is very good at protecting men from infection. It's much, it doesn't have any impact on their infectivity to women, but it does uh, protect uh, men who are circumcised, probably because the foreskin contains cells that are particularly vulnerable to HIV. Um microbicides that's uh, applied to the female genital tract, particularly if they contain antiretroviral drugs, um, have been shown to be um, uh, protect about a third of women who use them as long as they use them very reliably. And with all these things, it's the adherence that's an issue um, uh, whereas a, obviously a vaccine could be used on our we'd hope could be used on a, one or two occasions and not have to be used every time uh, sex is contemplated. Treating other STDs was initially uh, advocated as a way of preventing HIV infection and shown to be effective in one study but not borne out in in other studies but probably the two most uh, prominent methods in which have been described in the last two years is to treat uh, it, People who are HIV positive, regardless of their CD4 count, in couples where uh, one has HIV and the other hasn't, that um, has an efficacy of well over 90%. And um, so that's uh, uh, um, because once the viral load is reduced uh, to below detection in the blood, it's usually below detection in the genital secretions as well. And also, there's been a big vogue for giving people antiretroviral drugs who might be at risk of HIV. Um, And clearly, that's that raises, well, it raises issues to me that if somebody can take a drug each, uh, every day, why can't they use a condom? But uh, it's, um, the, uh, it's still um, been uh, widely tested uh, and shown to be effective in a lot of, uh, uh, of different settings. So if you look at all of these... Um, uh, different methods of prevention. So the treatment for prevention is by far the biggest effect, which would mean treating everybody regardless of their CD4 count. And these pre-exposure PrEP methods are, are also very effective. And down here is the one vaccine that's been tested so, so far. So this makes it, just to say that antiretroviral treatment for prevention uh, has been shown in in the African setting as well as in uh, um, developed world populations, and again, how well it works uh, clearly relates very strongly to adherence. Um, But... (laughs) This also re- requires much better infrastructure uh, than is in many parts of the developing world. And this is, a, just to show you, this, this small hut is the uh, HIV clinic in Caio in Guinea-Bissau where, where we've done a lot of our HIV-2 studies. And you can see that that kind of infrastructure isn't quite up to diagnosing and, and providing treatment for uh, large numbers of HIV-infected people. So is there a, a future? Um, well, there's uh, one vaccine regimen uh, been shown to be effective, which at least, even though we don't quite understand how it's worked, means that it's possible. And uh, there are data from the monkey models, even though they're yet to be tested in humans, that are encouraging. But um, as these other prevention methods have uh, caught up with vaccine progress, it does mean that you would have to design your trials uh, for efficacy very carefully, Um, to take into account um, the other prevention mechanisms. Previously, it was enough to counsel people and suggest that they used condoms. You might now need to offer circumcision, microbicides uh, um, and antiretroviral prophylaxis, which would mean you'd need vast numbers to show whether a, a vaccine was efficacious. And also, it's now fairly clear that treating people with acute HIV infection uh, has long-term benefits as well and that would add considerably to the cost of um, efficacy studies. So for every person that became infected say in the control group um, you would need to treat perhaps forever um, and commit to that as part of a vaccine trial design. So although a vaccine is possible um, it still seems uh, some way off. So um, going back to the tried and trusted methods, if people are like, I think I might need to read this. Um, I do a lot of work in China and I love the Chinglish that comes out. And this is a very good example of this. Each condom is made of the high quality natural latex of import and subject to electronic inspection excellent class and meet ISO standards, it can provide you with pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases such as AIDS. (laughs) So (laughs) um, so, so my my favourite public health message uh, comes from India, and I guess because you may not be able to read the, uh, the small print at the bottom, is the message is really to be imaginative. This is the Kama Sutra prescription to avoid HIV infection. Many postures with one is better than one with many. Uh, Indian Health Organization (laughs) (laughs) so um, in view of uh, lunchtime looming I'll take this opportunity to stop and thank you very much for your attention